Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a beautiful morning. I think I'll What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gold Jr. That is me with me as always on a Friday. Super producer Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Oh, nothing much, Mike. I'm uh, in Disneyland right now. Or Disney World. Is that the Florida one? Yeah, Disney World is the Florida one. Disneyland is the California adventure. I always think of, uh, because Disney originated in California, I've always thought of Florida Disney World as like Walt Disney's like huge mistress. Well, I think the Florida one's the original. No, it's not. I mean, it's at least the main one. Let's put it that way. It is now, it's the bigger one, and now it's the main one because of that. But the original was in California, Disneyland. Got it. Well, yes. yeah, I, I grew up on Disney World. I grew up in Orlando for a little bit as a kid. And then when dad started working at Disney, you get the pass to go to the park, you rock the fast yeah. pass, and you have a little bit better experience than most people who make that one trip to Disney every year. You can always see the look on parents' faces. And I am very curious for you. Because you're going there for Carter's third birthday this weekend. So you're about to be a Disney parent. Is this your maiden voyage with your whole family to Disney? Yes, it is. Uh, my mom oh. just flew in from Louisville. Um, so she's going to be there as well. Yeah, this is this is Carter's first trip to Disney. He's been like warmed up with Bush Gardens and he's done other like f- like fairs and things like that, but like his mind is going to explode. No, I mean, is this your first trip to Disney as a Disney parent? I'm not worried about Carter having a good oh. time. I'm worried about you and Michelle and what this is going to do to you guys because I have seen the war-torn look in parents' eyes when they leave Disney after a long day and I'm just wondering if you have mentally prepared for this outcome. I am not ready, but I prefer it that way. That is probably for the best go in with kind of like a young team playing in the Super Bowl. You don't know what you don't know. Yes. So you can't be afraid of it. Everything slows down. You take it. You know, you just got to go out there and make plays like I've been a Disney dad probably before I was a Disney dad. So I'm I'm, I'm ready for this. Mm. There you go. You've been visualizing. That's half the battle. So good luck this weekend as you guys get ready for Disney. It is. 
an awesome time. I will be curious what the feedback and what your kids gravitate to, because obviously that place has changed and added a lot since I was a kid going there, even since I've been back as an adult. But uh, you got to play the got to play the hits. I'm sure. Like it's a small world. I don't know. Yeah, like, the teacup, the teacup thing. Like there's a Carter's only so tall too. So we're we're gonna just be like uh, going yeah, nuts so you, with like the, Michelle has it mapped out. There's three like Carter appropriate rides at every little adventure and whatever first stop we're going to. So, um, I was going to I guess that because your kids are so young, tower of terror is probably out of the question. Yeah. Splash mountains, probably out of the met question. It's yes. small worlds. Got a shot. I feel like that one definitely yeah. still plays for young kids, but also like test track and some of those aren't really going to be ready for them at this point. No, no, no. It's going to be a, a lot of them looking and, and wondering, like, oh, like maybe when I get bigger. But whew, I hope we can break this thing up every like every three years too, because I don't know. I even being in Florida, I can't do this. Can't be an annual trip. We can't. We can't have that. That uh, I know you've seen it before. The the season pass little bumper sticker. Oh, Brandon, I saw there was a guy um, a little while back who set some sort of record. He went to Disney where a 50-year-old from Huntington Beach, California visited Disneyland 2,995 days in a row. That's too many days in a row. Going by yourself, I feel like that would be an interesting way to see a lot of stuff. Like, but yeah, If you're, you're going to work. <laughs> like, if you work in Disneyland... <laughs> That's how many days you should put in in a year if you work at a company. That's a good point. I hope that I didn't read the story, but I hope that guy's retired because if not, his job's got to be wondering why he's constantly has his camera off on Zoom and everything sounds like there's screaming involved. So we'll wait and see and get the full report from your weekend. Busy weekend. We got a great show for you guys coming up here today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a five-star rating and a review and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's a stocked weekend between NBA heating up down the home stretch, obviously. You've got UFC 285 with John Jones making his long-awaited move to the heavyweight division, which we can get into a little bit at the end of this podcast. One of the greatest fighters of all time who's been very quiet, at least inside the ring for the last couple of years. Uh, We've got all that, and we've got the combine action that'll get started. Yesterday, the D-line and linebackers kick things off, and as we go through the weekend, we'll have all the on-field watchable stuff that we'll be able to recap for you guys Monday. So very excited about a lot of that, but Brandon... I'd be remiss if we didn't start at base camp here. I know for anyone watching on YouTube today, I feel like you're wearing this Eagles jersey deflecting from the fact that your Baltimore team is in the middle of the mess after yesterday. For anyone that missed it, Rashad Bateman had the time. Uh, At the Combine, it's equal parts entertaining because we get to watch high-level athletes do incredible things, but also for a lot of people, you get to hear from team personnel, coaches, GMs, and the like. And Eric DaCosta, the GM of the Baltimore Ravens, got to the mic. This is a day after we talked about those team report cards coming out, a lot of different things. So public feedback, the theme of the week. And Eric DaCosta was asked about the problem of drafting wide receivers and said, quote, if I had an answer, that would probably mean I would have some better receivers. We're going to keep swinging. There have been some guys that have been successful players for us that were draft picks. We've never really hit on that all pro type guy, which is disappointing, but it's not for lack of effort. It's one of those anomalies that I really can't explain other than to say we're not going to stop trying. We're going to keep swinging, and hopefully at one of these points, we're going to hit the ball out of the park. To which... 
Baltimore Ravens former top pick at wide receiver Rashawn Bateman responded by quote tweeting this, which was later deleted. How about you play to your players' strengths and stop pointing the finger at us in number eight? Blame the one you let do this. We take the heat 24-7 and keep us healthy. Care about us and see what happens. Ain't no promises, though. Tired of y'all lying and capping on players for no reason. <laughs> we someone had the time if i had to guess rashad bateman was probably in an airport because the number one place i get off frosty <laughs> tweets is when i got time in between flights i would bet top dollar on that but brandon I, this is i think something we thought and talked about yesterday would be interesting to see as fallout and you heard the reference there, keep us healthy and take care of us. We mentioned the Baltimore Ravens and the strength staff there did not receive rave reviews on the NFLPA um, sh- uh, report card that they gave for yeah. NFL teams, the survey they sent around to players. So clearly a little bit of a shot at that, but also a very public shot as Eric DaCosta was making no bones, speaking honestly about a receiver position that we said has not been developed during his time in Baltimore. It's a little different when you're one of the receivers hearing that publicly. And when you feel like this has not been the story I've experienced privately, apparently he had had enough. So what was your what was your read on this as a Baltimore Ravens fan? Because I have an interpretation of this based on the bigger picture story that is Lamar Jackson for the offseason. But does this shake any of your confidence in what's been viewed as one of the better run organizations in sports for a while now? Yes. Yes, it does. Um, I think the grades did probably more than this little tiff because DaCosta is going to answer the questions. And he's someone who's thinking that because the Ravens pride themselves on how many players they draft every year and and drafting their talent and, and, you know, they've moved talent and they've done better elsewhere, which I think is an issue. He's going to try to solve the issue for the wide receivers in the draft when if you're an actual Ravens fan, you know that most of the best wide receivers that the Ravens have are through trade, acquisition, somebody gave up on them, uh, a la Anquan Bolden and the like. Like I think Eric DaCosta was incorrect in throwing under the bus all of his group of young very young wide receivers that he's acquired in these last three drafts. Uh, and obviously the fact that Rashad Bateman pointed to the finger that, that they are someone in the front office is blaming Lamar Jackson is another indication of why Lamar Jackson is not paid right now. Why they've all been saying how much money he is going to get. Like that's the problem with this NFL draft crap, right? Mike, I've sit on Ravens Twitter all day long and never do you see just 12 40-second to two-minute clips runoff back-to-back, different topics, different topics. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like a podcast. There's too much talking. Someone is going to say something they're going to regret. Someone's going to show themselves to being too horny to, to get rid of Lamar Jackson. Like, I knew that this was going to be a problem, but I am glad that this is, is showing its head, Mike, because this is how these things get fixed. And I don't think that Rashad Bateman is the answer. That's why I'm glad he's popping off, Mike, because it, it's not somebody who... I imagine it's going to be a Baltimore Ravens for longer than his rookie contract allows him to be. Well, I, I think you're right in underscoring his background in this because we know no locker room's got 100% consensus on anything, right? Not everyone in the locker room's going to like the team, the coach, the quarterback, or whatever. And so you could write this off as, 
one disgruntled wide receiver's viewpoint of this situation. You could yeah. also look at it, which I'm I'm, I'm not okay. going to because no, I was going to make look- sure that I didn't sound like that. I was that's what I was doing no, because no, I, I think I, I he know. is he he speaks for a lot of them, and that's all the people that they've brought in the door. Well, I think what he's probably upset about, and to be clear, I haven't seen the full slate of Eric DaCosta comments as of yet. And so maybe at some point in there, he took acknowledgement of, hey, we've had misses because we talk about this all the time. The number one way to endear yourself to a room of people anywhere, especially in sports zone, I think especially in football, where your body's physically on the line on every play, you got to know people are going to step up and be accountable, right? When someone messes up and stands yeah. up in front of the room and said, hey, guys, that's on me, player, coach, whoever, it invites everybody else to do the same, and especially when it's your best. And so for Eric DaCosta not to step up and say, hey, we've got to do a better job evaluating prospects, right? People will look at the other wide receivers in the draft classes where they pick. Marquise Brown in 2019 when you had yeah. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin. You know, in 2020, they drafted Patrick Queen when you had T. Higgins and Micah Pittman. There were options where you could have invested and didn't. And so something about your process, just admitting that, right? Something about the way we've been evaluating receivers has to change. And also the conversation, and if Eric DaCosta said this, I will 100% take this back. But the idea that, hey, schematically, we haven't always had an offense that's been in position to feature receivers in the way that would help them maybe show off the best of their abilities. That's been the complaint since Lamar Jackson's been there is this offense yeah. hasn't developed a competent passing game. And so for none of that to be a part of this conversation, and again, maybe it was because Rashad Bateman ended up deleting this tweet, tweeting out like something like my bad or anything like that with a little hug emoji. And so maybe someone said, hey, there's more comments here, but It's this idea that, again, you're right. When people start talking, you've got to always be cognizant of your words. And Eric DaCosta knows that. These people that speak in public know this. We know this as people that work in words. You're in charge of what you say because you've got context, but you know not everybody's going to adhere to that. So you've got to protect against that, especially if you're someone that's in charge of the organization. This all does go back to me, though. I do wonder... If after the survey and after this, we might hear any more leak out or if they're going to batten down the hatches. Because the other way to read this is when you don't treat your stars the way Mm. that you should, all of a sudden that sends a message to everybody else, right? Him mentioning Lamar Jackson in there, to me, is probably the most noteworthy part. Stop blaming us and number eight as we sit here in this contentious Lamar Jackson long-term contract negotiation, trying to figure out if he's going to get tagged or not. Clearly already having received the message, right? They yeah. don't love they don't love him the same way we all love him. The way we look at Lamar Jackson, they do not, or else they would have signed him long before this. They would have made this done. They have a little bit of a different viewpoint on this. And so, regardless of if they, you know, like him or not, there's one way to show love in the NFL, and that's when you put pen to paper. And so we say this all the time when you don't take care of the stars on your team, it sends a message to everybody else, like, hey. They might not take care of you here. If you go and do all the things that you're supposed to do and sell out for this team, that still might not be enough. And that's always a dangerous game to play when you claim publicly to believe that this guy is your quarterback, is your answer, do want him to be there. Yeah, I think uh, the GM has has a – he's got egg on his face, and rightfully so, because they just got rid of their offensive coordinator. 
Like they not got rid of, he stepped down. They just got a new offensive coordinator. That's a perfect opportunity for you to blame scheme and schematics and, and certain things in the past and, and talk about the fact that they know that they haven't best utilized the wide receivers that they have drafted and their specific talents. I think ironically, the best wide receiver best wide receiver that they've utilized their talents was Hollywood Brown. He just dropped all those balls when they finally got to him and when he got on yeah. the other side. Like I, I think there's been examples of that, Mike, but the fact that no wide receivers in the NFL uh, for the Baltimore Ravens caught touchdown passes, uh, you know, the, the last what, eight games of the regular season is damning. And I don't, you can, I think it's fair to blame everyone, like blame the pot, blame the soup and the ingredients because the result isn't good. The the soup ain't hitting, right? Like, I think it's fair to blame everyone in that, in that spot, especially the general manager, because who else is going to? Right. At the end of the day, you're in charge of putting all this together. And the Ravens, again, have a great reputation, by and large, that goes back to Ozzie Newsom and the job that he did there for so long. And then that transition to Eric DaCosta. But it seems now this is just a little more leaking out of that building than we've been accustomed to in a while. And how this reflects on what's going to happen is they're coming up on that decision that has to be made. March 7th is when you know we have that window where the franchise tag can be applied. So we're getting to that point. The clock's ticking. I, I will say, though, something that he did say, uh, Eric DaCosta, that I did like was they're prepared to give Lamar Jackson a lot of money because the having an elite quarterback in the NFL is how you win games. And he says that they're at the position with Lamar Jackson at the helm. And if they can't come to the deal, then he has – up to six different options that all are around the franchise tag uh, option that Lamar can pick from to decide if he wants to be a part of the program or not. And he said that, you know, he and John Harbaugh are, are, are texting regularly in, in X, Y, and Z. I, I, I believe all those things and I believe it's good energy. But the fact that they have, in my mind, umpteenth options to keep Lamar Jackson at quarterback, if he does leave, then I am in a position that I'm sure the Cleveland Browns find themselves in and looking at their franchise sideways for the decisions they make at quarterback. Yeah, it's a when people show you who you are, they are, believe them situation. You could have gotten Lamar's deal done before a lot of those other contracts started to obscure the conversation. You could have been early to market on this. And instead, for whatever reasons, you decided to wait despite having a guy who had won an MVP before the age of 25 or at the age of 25, whatever it was. And so that underscores your thinking. And it's hard to get away from that as a player when you know there were opportunities to do this. And listen, I'm not going to say Lamar is totally blameless in that, right? He's representing himself. And so we don't know what the early part of those conversations may have looked like. But the fact that he got here underscores a lack of sense of urgency with the organization that will be troubling to me if I was Lamar Jackson and would be troubling to me if I was another player on that team. Because for all the good shit we talk about that defense, it's not going to matter if all of a sudden you're back at square one at quarterback on offense because we saw what that team looks like with out him at the helm down the home stretch of the season. So we'll wait and see for more of this coming out over the weekend. More player, more personnel speaking, certainly players performing this weekend, but also 
genuinely curious if there is any more fallout from these other teams with those NFLPA report cards that came out because there was some honesty in there and some yeah. egg on the face of organizations we talked about in a way that you don't often get. That was an unusually candid bit of public information from the teams and everybody involved. Brandon. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. I do want to switch uh, to the association briefly because we talked with Tom Havistro yesterday and... He was, you know, as we recorded, getting ready to go watch Kevin Durant against the Hornets, which went pretty well. Kevin Durant had 23 points in 27 minutes, didn't really look rusty, and like Tom talked about, going to be weaned back minutes-wise, mm-hmm. pressure you're going to put on his body-wise, but it looked the part. Now, the Hornets, probably not a great example, right? LaMelo Ball out for the rest of the year, unfortunately. Right. That team, you know, had been on a five-game win streak, but certainly not the Hornets team that we expected at the start of the season. But right. it, it, Kevin Durant being back on the court now, I think is going to be fascinating given the juncture we're at in NBA conversation right now. Because between the Jokic MVP stuff that's been going on, between just the general tenor around that and then conversations you heard the other day from Charles Barkley on first take talking about Kevin Durant and how he needs to go and win a championship on his own to prove something the old, or whatever it was. Basically, this idea that the way he's done it has not satisfied his detractors really <laughs> does speak to the strange place that we're at right now. Because if you look at Kevin Durant and the Suns team that are supposed to be the favorites in the Western Conference, if they mm-hmm. go on and win the NBA Finals this year, are we going to look at Kevin Durant any differently than we did already? Is that going to meaningfully move the needle for him if he comes in on the back half of the season and wins a title with a team that already had that foundation of Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Okay, so what you're asking me is if Kevin Durant wins a championship with the Suns, will I rem- will I degrade or downgrade him from one of the basketball players that we've ever seen, like a, a, a silent assassin, to like Robert Ori status? No, of no, just that's, being that's, like that's not what I'm asking at all. Okay. No, <laughs> because that okay. like I don't want to get into the realm of the ridiculous, right? Kevin Durant's legacy is very secure. I'm just wondering if this drop in the bucket is a net of anything for him, for a player that's been, I mean, outside of LeBron James in this era has been one of the guys that we've talked about as the best basketball player at the world at a bunch of different junctions. And now would have 
multiple championships among multiple teams and would have come over on the Suns, which, you know, like a watered down warrior situation where there was a foundation in place. The core of this team took them to an NBA finals appearance, appearance a couple of years ago. And then you came in and were the thing that put them over the top. Like in both cases, Kevin Durant walks in and is immediately the best player on the team. Kevin Durant walked into the Warriors and immediately was the best player on that team, the same way he is now immediately the best player on the Phoenix Suns when he's fully healthy. I just don't know if it does anything. It should, I think. Being able to drop in in the back half of the season, like Tom said, to be the most plug-and-play, game-ready player because of your skill set, that should count for a lot. And this should absolutely be a feather in his cap. But it just seems like some of the people that talk about the sport have already made up their minds about Kevin Durant in a way that won't be affected by this. I think performance matters. I honestly do think that, you know, Kevin Durant having to put the team on his back the way that he kind of did in some of those games uh, with the Warriors, even though they didn't need him to, I I think performance matters and and competition matters as well. Because I think we've, Kevin Durant has looked human in these with with the Nets, has he not? Like especially the he, he's even in godlike moments like the the elimination game where he shot a two pointer instead of a three pointer against the Bucks. He has looked human and he is a plug and play ready player. But I just feel like he's a, a beneficiary for the the world that LeBron James made. Well, I think that human is probably the wrong way he's looked. And we've seen the injuries have an effect. I think that's undeniable in that a seven-footer with lower body injuries has almost always been a concern. And we've seen that slow the overall ascent, kind of a much lesser degree of what we've seen with Kawhi Leonard, right? Where Kawhi's never going to be the same again, right? What Kawhi was as a defender, all those things, never going to be the same again because of the way he's got to manage his body now. With Kevin Durant, you hope that's not the case. But I would say... Brooklyn also underscored the idea that you just can't do this by yourself. And we saw him out there on an island at the end of that postseason run that did get put down by the Milwaukee Bucks. And so I I guess that's the unfortunate part of where we've lodged ourselves, right? Is if you've got other stars on your team, then you're not given full credit. But if you don't and you're Nikola Jokic hanging out with no other all-stars in Denver – it's used as a slight that you can't drag them to other places beyond where they should as a team. So there's really no winning for some people that we've decided, which is so strange yeah. to me. And it's only once you get to a certain level, because I mentioned this to Tom yesterday. Dame Lillard is fascinating to me because for Dame Lillard, top 75 player all time, incredible point guard. I yeah. saw JJ Redick on first take talk and saying he's, you know, a top playing like a top two point guard in the league right now, and it might not be two. All of those things can be true. And in a very healthy showing, which I would love to see more of in the way that we talk about basketball, we've allowed Damian Lillard to just exist and be grateful for what he brings for Dame time, for the range, for what he looks like scoring 71 points, for how much fun it is. Oof. Like, we don't think of the three ball, I think, is inherently fun until guys like him and Steph came and showed you how much swagger you could do it with. It's the difference right. of a- applauding a sniper versus someone who fights hand to hand combat, going to the lane, making tough shots, doing it the way that we saw Kobe we do it the way Durant does it LeBron getting to the rack there's something inherently 
that gets us going because it's yes. so physical and personal. Doing it from distance didn't always feel the same, but then you get these guys that do it in such a way with so much flair that we get to love it. And so we've arrived mm. at that place with Dame, and we don't bash him for the lack of championships. We don't bash him for the lack of hardware. We went through a conversation for a while where we were trying to free Dame and get him out of Portland because outside of that one Western Conference Finals appearance, it didn't seem like that was a team that was going to be able to get him to the places that would get him to that next tier legacy wise and we dropped that and now we just enjoy it and i don't know why we limit that to it seems like just dame as a guy who's again one of the best basketball players of all time and he's one of the few that we let live in that space where we just appreciate the good without talking about all the things he's not but that space you're saying that he's occupying right now is is new territory it's like he moved in january 1st because we were just this last season talking about that same narrative with Dame about him getting out. Like it's like at a certain point in time in elementary school, they stopped calling me booby boy because I stopped being getting my feelings hurt by it. Like they just they moved on. They find a different insult. Like now, instead of insulting Dame for his lack of championships that he will inevitably not get, they just call him loyal and they and they try to use it as a slight. But I think I think that he is operates in that space because of the team he's on versus who he is as a player. He is in a smaller market that no one really respects in the playoffs, regardless of the success that they have had, you know, you know like in the Western conference for over the last five years, but no one's really worried about him, especially when CJ McCollum left. But that's why I think it's fascinating to compare him to what's going on with Denver. Denver also smaller market team, one that has, okay, I mean, for Nikola Jokic and for Dame Lillard, both have only made it as far as the Western Conference Finals, and both play on teams that have historically not surrounded them with as much talent as we feel like. And with Dame, the way we framed it for so long was not, Dame needs to leave and win a championship is, we want that for him. It felt, and maybe I'm remembering this with rose-colored glasses, but correct me if I'm wrong, it was always a, hey, we need to get Dame out of there. He deserves better than this. Versus, hey, he needs to leave and do this, or else we are going to judge him accordingly. And I want to, again, underscore i'm glad we're not doing that yeah but it's also interesting to consider why we do it in real time to nikola Jokic, and the only thing that we can seem to come up with is Jokic has put himself in a different class of player by likely now becoming the fourth player to ever win three straight mvps to do what he's done this season and cement that on a team that probably won't win a title if we're looking at them as there are as they are so far And so if that's the case, we're going to hold that against him and people are going to try and use that as a reason why he shouldn't be given any more of this individual accolade that signifies a regular season performance that has once again been incredible and unique and unlike very few things we've seen before. Yeah, but like Dame, who just won the three-point contest, if that makes any difference, we celebrate these individual awards that these players are able to accomplish. I, I don't think we celebrate. I don't think a lot of people celebrate it for Jokic. I think he has become very controversial in the NBA discourse about this. I think a lot of people look at it and they get the fatigue. We see this happen a lot with the major awards, right? There was LeBron fatigue for a long time. Any star player that's good for a long enough time, we start looking at it saying, 
all right, we've kind of seen that before. Now what else? Russ, when he was averaging triple-doubles right. over the course of a season, we get bored quickly, and then we ask why you haven't gone to the next tier, not but acknowledging I, that the tier that they live on is already such rarefied air. True, but I believe that our boredom is amplified if we don't like the way that player plays. And that's the problem with, with Jokic because I hated James Harden when he was winning MVPs or even in the conversation. I respected Russell Westbrook's just tenacity to just get in there and do all those things. But like Tom Habistrow mentioned, the fact when Jokic won that first one, the fact that he had played all the games in a season where load management became like viral, like the last of us, like it, it was, it was happening so much. And then you just saw Jokic like constantly and the, and the team was doing well. Like the Denver Nuggets have always done well with this, but it's just to be seated in a position to get gentlemen, gentlemen swept by somebody. And that's why we, it's people get upset that Jokic, a player that plays not the way that a traditional Michael Jordan, like all of the, you know, the way the NBA is built up to, to love basketball now they're upset that he's stealing the regular season. But guess what? We still get the playoffs. We still get all these moments and these these great athletic well, plays when it, when it moves on past the, the Denver Nuggets and Utah Jazzes of the world. Well, that's the problem is we've arrived at a place where the only thing that we have been conditioned to care about is the postseason. Mm, that's the issue the KD NBA is dealing with play. right now. And yeah. so – You've got one shot at this. It's why the NBA is struggling, we talked about, to try and figure out how to make their regular season more relevant as a product overall because when awards like this are still given out for regular season talent, it gets obscured because for us, the only metric in the com- in the popular discourse about the league is what have you done in the postseason. And to be clear, what you do in the postseason is important. It's why yes. – part of this conversation gets ugly it's why what happened with John Morant last year was so important right them giving Golden State the series that they did how exciting that was what that did for eyeballs on them because people don't watch Denver and now you have opportunities in the postseason to make that happen so it's there's no easy answer for it other than the things that are always floated shortening shortening the NBA's regular season commissioner constantly floating that idea of a midseason tournament but in actuality there's probably some onus on all of the rest of us to just be a little better about talking at this stuff and just enjoying what is like like Giannis isn't going to be here for long like we don't have to like I, I think there's a reality to the basketball getting more skilled that everyone was so excited about but the fact that it could get more skilled in a body that that looks more athletically challenged or or uh, has a ceiling on it, everyone's everyone's up in arms. Like I love it because it's like a big man getting his wings again. Like this is like this is like an offensive lineman getting a touchdown every time Jokic wins one of these MVPs. Where I like I can't hate it. How how could I? Well, I, I, it's. It- we're in a very awesome time for the evolution of large bodies in basketball. I always say yeah. I watch sports to see people that can do things I could never possibly dream of. And the Jokic's and Embiid's and Giannis's of the world all represent what's going on with that. But again, because we've got short attention spans and because we only prioritize one thing, we get to this point where we're at in the conversation. Um, Brandon, we are now at the point in our conversation where we need to ask a very important question. 
Really? Brandon. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what time it is? Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. I think I do, Mike. Now, I don't know where I'm supposed to come into this. Oh! Okay, I think I can find it. I want a game. You ready for this? Oh, shit. It's right now, right? Clock strikes. Upon the hour and the sun begins to fade Still enough time to figure out how to chase my blues away I've been alright up till now It's the light of day that shows me how And when the night falls, my loneliness calls Somebody, I wanna do the heat with somebody. Yeah, I wanna do this, that, and that with somebody who loves me. Oh, I wanna dance with somebody. I wanna feel the heat. Yeah, I wanna do this, that, and that with somebody who loves me. Don't you want to this? Then the third. Don't you want to this? Then the third. Don't you want to this? Then the third. This third and the third. Okay, I'm sorry. Add this thing. Add this thing there. <laughs> you had to add a little bit at the end because you forgot to add it in, didn't you? Oh no, no, I wanna I, I back in the day I used to, you know, get two parts of the song in and that's that's the intention there. I, I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm it's gonna be it's one of my things where I was trying to step on you, but you you've waited. You know you know the wait now. I can say I've 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 understood this. That song takes me back, by the way. That one I am immediately drunk inside the linebacker at Notre Dame. Oh man, shouts out to the linebacker, shouts out to Mike Bray. Shouts out to Mike Bray, man. Got his uh Win in his final home game at Purcell Pavilion at Notre Dame, the longtime Notre Dame head coach. They beat uh, 25th-ranked Pitt, 88-81. And Mike Bray, who will now end his Notre Dame coaching career, he's stepping down after this season, 315-76 and 76 
in 23 years at home at Purcell Pavilion as Notre Dame's head coach. And he made good on mm-hmm. his promise and went to the linebacker. He said he had never been to Notre Dame's most iconic bar. Wright Thompson did a voiceover on a piece for it for college game day this last football season. It is the bar that is most likely to still have puke from when my dad was there in the 80s. It's an absolute hole in the wall. It's right next to a liquor store, and none of us went there really as undergrads, but as a postgrad, it is a bastion of low ceilings, buck hunter, and 90s pop that makes its way into the jukebox every time. You said we didn't go as undergrads, which means we definitely went graduation week yes. and i remember the the first time i went to the linebacker i ended up and i don't you know this isn't like championing this i threw up in my bathroom uh that that night and um i made it in the sink instead of the toilet and that was oh. you know i had to clean it up in the morning big oh. mistake there but yeah the linebacker plenty of memories man and mike bray too was living his best life it was fully packed i saw pete sampson and a bunch of other beat reporters documenting it it was fully packed before the game was over Mike Bray and Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrick showed up, and Bray was full man of the people mode. Students buying him shots of Jameson. He had a moment for everybody. Mike Bray really underscores what you can do at Notre Dame as one of the non-football coaches, because for football, if you screw up pretty soon, they're going to fire you. If your coaches in a lot of the other programs, you can, as long as you're successful more often than not, I mean, really, you see a lot of long-tenured coaches around that campus. For Mike Bray, Muffet McGraw was obviously successful in a high end for a long time. Uh, Kevin Corrigan in the men's lacrosse program has been highly successful there for a long time. But Mike Bray always got it. He understood where they were on Notre Dame's campus, what he could do, and really seemed to maximize that. And so seeing him do shots of JMO and go out there arm-in-arm with a lot of students at the backer last night, it's an incredible end to a hell of a run at Notre Dame. So congrats to Coach Bray on a stellar career. Those couple Elite Eight runs that were built in with Pat Connaughton and Jeremy, uh, Jerry and Grant for those years, like as exciting a time as it was to be a Notre Dame basketball fan on the men's side in my adult lifetime. So it was a real blast and a joy and uh, you know, wish him well for whatever's next and also wish him well for that hangover that he was dealing with the next day because God in heaven, like you said, we have lived that before and it is not cute. Yeah. Uh, Mike can handle that. Maui, Maui, long may he reign. The MVP of the Maui, uh, Jim Maui Invitational should be the Mike Bray Maui Invitational MVP from here on Ooh, out. I like that. Uh, as always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, go Joe, wherever you get your podcast, five-star rating review, tell Brandon, you want to dance with him. You want to feel the heat with him. Uh, Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third three quick stories on the way out that UFC 285 coming up this weekend. And very noteworthy about this and very excited. John Jones making his heavyweight debut in UFC. One of the most decorated fighters in the history of UFC at the light heavyweight level has been dormant for the last three years as he has stacked weight, trained, as we've seen, got into more off the outside of the octagon trouble, which has unfortunately been a common thread in John Jones' yeah. career as a fighter. But now getting to see him go up against Cyril Gain for the vacant heavyweight title, I'm fascinated because there hasn't been a lot of pub. There hasn't been a lot of press from his camp. They've really been in the idea that we're going to show up and show people the work that we've done then. And so genuinely excited to watch and check this one out. Uh, 10 o'clock Eastern Saturday night in Vegas on pay-per-view for ESPN+. Plus. Yeah, he's been kind of like a, a, a more problematic Frank Ocean like in the sense that he can drop whenever he wants and everyone just respects the fact that he's just like 
going to change the game every time he does it. But the fact that he's joining his brothers in the heavyweight division, uh, obviously him being uh, brothers with Chandler Jones and Arthur Jones, I'm excited to see it. Uh, God, just a reminder of the insane athletic gifts in that family. You have two boys, yes. and people always talk about when they've got boys, the fights that happen when they're kids. Those had to be like watching Godzilla movies with those oh, three man. kids. Outside, outside. Yeah. outside <laughs> oh, my God. It, just to give people, if they've forgotten the idea of John Jones' resume as a fighter, the longest unbeaten streak in MMA history at 18, the most title defenses tied with Demetrius Johnson at 11 in UFC history, the most victories in UFC title fights with 14, and his only career loss came in a, a controversial disqualification back in 2009 in a fight that he was dominating. Henry Cejudo called him the Michael Jordan or LeBron James of mixed martial arts. So that's the kind of talent we're dealing with here. Was that, was that the Cormier fight you're talking about that he was dominating? Uh, no, it was the I fight think. between him and Matt Hamill. Oh, okay. okay. But um, I believe the most recent bit of outside of the ring uh, controversy for him because he vacated his light heavyweight title. He had talked about wanting to make this move all the way back in like 2013. But in September of 2021, um, he was arrested in Las Vegas on account of domestic battery, a misdemeanor, and then one count of tampering with a police vehicle, which was a felony. The domestic battery charges got dropped, but he took a deal with the misdemeanor tampering of a police vehicle. Haven't heard from him yet publicly on that situation. And again, this has been someone who has struggles with substance abuse in the past. He said that after this, he's leaving alcohol behind forever now. And so it's a complicated picture, but it ends up boiling down to, I'd imagine there's going to be a ton of eyeballs on this fight because he is one of the most impactful figures in the history of this sport. So uh, that'll be a banger coming up this weekend at 10 o'clock Eastern. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Brandon, let's get to that. Another thing. Saturday night, big night this weekend. Oh, yes. Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs yeah. star tight end, getting set to host Saturday Night Live. Uh, Brandon, for someone that moonlights on the stage as often as you do here, you've been pumped about this one all week and wanting to talk about this. Yeah, man. It's it's Obviously, it's Subro Champ, but like SNL, uh, Lauren Michaels, who executive producer SNL has since the existence of it in the 80s, he picks the hottest of the hottest people to host. 
Like that's unfortunately his rule half the time. And it gets him in a lot of trouble when people like Trump or Kanye West hosts or Elon Musk or, you know, just the slew of people, uh, even uh, Dave Chappelle, when he hasn't been like so welcome, he just picks the hottest person. And for Travis Kelsey, someone who is in the podcast sphere as we're in, but more importantly, a two-time Super Bowl champion and probably still at it, you know, from Ohio and, you know, just everything that he represents. I love the fact that they're giving him a platform to make people laugh on purpose. I think it's going to be challenging for him. Uh, Obviously, Peyton Manning has done well in the past. Tom Brady has hosted and done well enough in the past. But it's a tall order, and I'm excited because I feel like he's going to take it really seriously. And just because that might deliver instead of just always just screaming, you got to fight for your right to party. I do trust guys that have that bit of pro wrestling to them, though. Just because they're not afraid of the stage. Like, he's going to walk out there brimming with confidence. And that's half the battle for guys in that situation is not being afraid of embarrassing yourself. Did you see how this wheels got put in motion for this, by the way? It was all the way back in September. Heidi Gardner was on, uh, I believe, the Bill Simmons podcast and was asked about who she would pick to host SNL. And she said Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Mahomes quote tweeted it and said SNL would be a dream come true. So a reminder. Tweet your feelings into existence. It is possible. Yes. So very excited for that for Kelsey. Looking forward to that one a great deal. But Brandon, it's time to get to the third. We have waited a long time this week to finally get to our The Last of Us recap. We've been watching along. This has become a pseudo The Last of Us podcast. As always, if you have not watched up and through the most recent episode, episode seven, Secret Origins, make sure that you stop the podcast right now. But Brandon, uh, this episode was an interesting departure, very flashback heavy. We got a peek at what Ellie's life was like before she met Joel, before she found out that she was going to be the special chosen one whose blood might save all of mankind with an antidote here. And we flash all the way back to when she's in military training at the QZ in Boston, trying to just navigate life as a young kid that's coming up in this post-apocalyptic world. And as background, because I've, I think I've said on this podcast, I bought the video game and have started playing it. I am up to where we're at in the show right now. What? Yeah. You I, monster. I caught all the way back up. And it's interesting. So this episode, episode seven, was downloadable content. It was um, The Last of Us Left Behind. It was an add-on to the original game where you got to go back and see this ah. at the juncture where we last left the last episode where Joel and Ellie had gone on to their mission to try and find the fireflies, to try and develop this cure, leaving his brother in Wyoming and end up getting ambushed by bandits. Joel gets stabbed. And now we see in this episode cuts of Ellie trying furiously to save Joel. They found their way to an abandoned house in a neighborhood as she's trying to go through with him he's trying to convince her to leave uh to leave him there he feels like he's dying and she's grappling with should she stay and save him and that's when we get the flashbacks to her and the relationship that really ends up being the foundation of her i I guess entire way of viewing things leading up to this so riley is the young woman who is her friend in the QZ who we find out is left to join the fireflies and comes back to take Ellie out in this magical night inside of the mall in town, which did you not think about our podcast about which, what? which shows make you want to run through a mall? 
we got the all. The episode came out the, the the four wonders of the mall. I was like, there we go, there oh. we go. It was Brandon. What stuck out for you in this episode? We get them. They go through the mall. Riley eventually tells Ellie that she is being shipped to the QZ in Atlanta by the Fireflies to go be part of their movement down there. And we see this rom- relationship and this brewing romance finally consummated with a kiss there, which in the video game world was seen as a big breakthrough moment for that to be a part of this game and of this story Mm. as it's told in these flashback moments that essentially tell us and show us why Ellie is not going to leave Joel behind because she had someone that she didn't want to leave her before someone that was trying to push away. And that seminal moment where she asks her and tells her pleads with her, don't go before the kiss and ultimate attack by the zombie that changes the course of this. What was your biggest takeaway from the episode? I think it validated I there's a part of me the fact that she had gotten bitten there's a part of me that was like like you you silly and you're going to get Joel messed up ate up because you silly you already got bit before you know what I mean like just being in a position to get bit at all is is a negative huge negative in this world in this post apocalyptic world so to see the origin story of her bite which I didn't know I was going to see until I saw that little clicker all like tied up in the uh, in the in the mall somewhere. I thought that was a valid and telling articulation of what could be to come because it's it's something that guards down wrapped up in emotion, right? Uh, I'm very very interested in how they uh, finish out this scene or this this world because I imagine this is how Ellie gets introduced to the Fireflies in the first place. Yes. Is, is, you know, through them being bitten and hurt. and So I, I'd imagine this is where that portion of the game ends. That, ad, okay. that add-on portion of the game ends with this moment. So I think from here on out, we're seeing now, as we have gotten Ellie and Joel's relationship at its zenith, where she decides to stay in by far the most relatable gameplay notion is Ellie scavenging cabinets to try and find something to sew Joel up with. In the game, uh, she's in a trapped in a mall, has to do that and fight other people off. In the show, she's doing that in the cabinets in the house, which in the game, half your time is spent creeping, crouching, and searching through cabinets for supplies. So <laughs> that deeply resonated with anybody who has played that video game because we all recognize what it's like to go through those. But I thought that, I mean, there were some moments in this that were stunning, her inside the mall, the first time you have the reveal for Ellie, the beautiful <gasps> set designs that you've seen on the, this show. I think that initial mall shot is one of the best. The the carousel, Mike. I thought that was like just beautiful. Um, and also just the the thoughtfulness and you know, the mall. Like and also the reveal that she was stationed there. Cause also I was like, damn, she's so resourceful. Like she got this whole spot, like all to herself. She knows in and out. So like, and the, 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 the thought of being safe in a matter in, in a time of danger is kind of hit over too much of the head for the last of us. That's why I thought it was vital that actually something popped off. And that's also the most realistic portrayal of the game because you just hit on it. The biggest difference that I have noticed between game and show, and it's what you're allowed to do, exploring it in the way that you do on screen, is in the show they've created these pockets of safety where they can explore more of who these characters are. You get pockets of safety in Wyoming. You get these moments underground with uh, Henry and his brother. You get all these places where they get a chance to breathe. 
those places don't exist in the game. You're never safe. You're always mm. under siege. And part of that has to happen because okay. it's a game because you've got to have room for action sequences, room for the player to actually get to go out and do the things that are part of the game. But in the show, you're right. This again, probably one of the most dutifully adapted episodes because you have that idea that you're never really safe in this world, right. but you're intentional with how you show other people still your humanity. And for Riley, who, yes, was stationed there, had all those reasons, she still set up all this stuff for Ellie yeah. as this show of affection that we saw for these two people who are also young, who are trying to, I'd imagine, express feelings like this for the first right. time in their lives. And I thought, again, Bella Riley continues to just be sensational in this show. And everything she does has been gold so far. Her and Pedro Pascal have been incredible. Storm Reed, who played Riley in this show was awesome. I was going to say as sort of she was the amazing older euphoria guide here. She was amazing euphoria as well. And she's just been, she's just a great actress. Yeah. So big takeaways, Joel, not dead at this point, him and Ellie are going to keep that trying, hoofing their way through this and we will wait and see the rest. So kind of an interesting bit of exposition in this episode. Kind of like on our podcast, which you've enjoyed it. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us that five-star rating. Leave us a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. tab. Thanks so much. Enjoy all the sports this weekend. Stay safe. We'll talk to you Monday. Boom. Money in the bank.